if He is holy and we are in Him, we have access to His power. So we can be holy. Our problem is, is that we're looking at what we can do to be holy, rather than what God has done and what He's provided for us in order for us to be holy. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. So, how's your holiness factor today? Yeah, I think we can all relate. But the truth is, the pursuit of holiness shouldn't be a backburner issue. God Himself has said, Be holy as I am holy. Well, let's bring that topic into sharper focus with the second part of Crawford's message, The Hope of Holiness. Glad you're with us today as we gather around 1 Peter chapter 1 in Crawford's new series, Navigating Life's Challenges. There's lots to learn, so you're here at a very good time. The messages we feature here on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's years as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Now in retirement, Crawford heads Beyond Our Generation, a ministry leadership mentoring program. His books include Make It Home Before Dark, Unshaken, and one he's co-authored with his wife Karen called Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Well, if you're not able to stay with us for all of today's message, you can listen at your convenience on our website, livingalegacy.org. Well, let's join Crawford for today's Bible study. Again, our text is 1 Peter chapter 1. When God says, be holy as I am holy, and in verse 17, he calls us his father, he says that he's, he's our father. Inherent in that is the ability to be holy. God never makes a command that he doesn't give us the ability to perform. If he is holy and we are in him, we have access to his power. So we can be holy. For he is holy. Our problem is, is that we're looking at what we can do to be holy rather than what God has done and what he's provided for us in order for us to be holy. So there is this statement to be obeyed and an embedded promise. It's what we need to decide to do. So quickly, there's also accountability. That's the second thing that takes place here that holiness produces. Peter says, holiness, this vision of holiness should produce urgency. Don't be lazy about this. He says, get off the dime, man. Get it in gear. Don't be passive about this. You're tempted to excuse yourself. But he says, secondly, this, this holiness should produce in us a sense of accountability. No, so he said, verse 17. Underscores the fact that we have his DNA. He says, and if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. He says, number one, we have his DNA. Children inherit the nature of their parents. And to be born again, to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, means that we have part of his nature in us. In fact, that's what Peter says over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He says, we are partakers of the divine nature. So the command that he gives to us, he's our dad. We've got his DNA living inside of us. There's power in us to do what he's called us to do. 
I did a series on the Holy Spirit some time ago. The, 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 the third person of the Trinity lives inside of us. We have the power. We carry with us his DNA. Just like your children have your DNA, my children, grandchildren have my DNA in them. We have his DNA inside of us. He is there. But also he underscores that we answer to him as well. It is not just that we come to Jesus and all of a sudden all of our sins have been forgiven, past, present, future. I believe that's, that's wonderful. But a believer is not free to do whatever they want to do. Well, I guess we can do that, but there is accountability. Notice the line that he says here, and I know this is sounding a little direct and harsh, but it's, it matches the text. He says, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. In context, he's talking to believers. And he says that believers are going to be judged. But this judgment does not have to do with our salvation. It has to do with our deeds. It has to do with our works. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I don't know where we got this from. I don't know where we got this from, that somehow or another, because I know Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, and that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, well, no, there's not condemnation in the sense of our eternal salvation. We'll never be condemned there. But that does not mean that we can just do pretty much what we please to do. We can make any choices that we want to make. We can sleep around. We can lie. We can have negative attitudes. We can mistreat our husbands, mistreat our wives. We can be abusive in our language and this kind of thing. And, and then we say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation. And I won't be held accountable. That's not true. You heard me say this a thousand times. Your grace is not permission. That's not true. This, this text says that we're going to be held accountable. We're going to be held accountable. This also implies, and I, I, I started not to say this, but I, I just, I, I, just I, I, I need to say this. And I say this not for sensationalism here. I'm not trying to be sensational, but I'm saying this to teach what I really believe the Bible teaches about habitual unrepentant sin in the life of a believer. There's this text of scripture that scares me to death every time I read it. It's found in 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. In this passage, John declares that there is sin unto death. There are various views of the text, but my view of the text is that sin unto death, the sin is in the present tense, has to do with habitual, unrepentant sin in the life of a believer. And the inference from the text is that sometimes, in some cases, where there is this consistent, unrepentant sin in the life of a believer, God, God himself, will cause their premature death. In my well over... 45 years of ministry. I have seen this take place two or three times. I told this story here several years ago. Karen and I knew this young couple, believers, and found out that uh, the young man was having an affair. I met with him for breakfast. And I'll never forget this. This was bone chilling to me. I sat across the table, and uh, 
he was skirting around some of the issues and this kind of thing and sort of like, you know, excusing his behavior and all of this. And I just stopped and said, look, look at me, man. You need to stop this and you need to stop it now. And he looked me square in the eye. I will never forget this. Even as I tell this now, I've told this story, I don't know how many times. He looked me square in the eye and he said to me, his eyes were just cold. He said to me, Crawford, I'm not stopping. I'm not going to do it. And I remember the chills just going down my spine. It wasn't two weeks later. He was on a motorcycle going across the connector on I-20. Going faster than he needed to go. Went to go around this truck. Clipped the truck. Hurled him off. And he smashed into this pole. And the only way that they could recognize his body was by his wedding band. Again, I say that not to be sensational, but also to underscore with us, God doesn't play with sin. He doesn't play with it in our lives. Yes, he is tender. Yes, he is gracious. Yes, he is merciful. Now, I could tell you the stories, well, that hasn't happened to so many, I mean, with people gone on and just sin, 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 and nothing like that's happened. And I'm not saying it happens every time. But what Peter is saying here is anchored in the overall teaching of the New Testament. That God doesn't tolerate sinful behavior in the lives of his children. And this issue of holiness is not a hobby. It is what God requires of all of us. So, there's urgency, there's accountability, but thirdly, there's gratitude. And this is the ultimate motivation for holiness. This is the ultimate motivation for holiness. Peter says here in chapter, I mean, verse 18 of chapter 1, the opening line, he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the fr fruitful ways inherited from your forefathers. He pulls them back and he says, this is what we were. What were we? What were we? We need to remember that we were bankrupt, enslaved sinners who could not pay for our own freedom. Grace and mercy came and found us. Think about your own life. Think about where you were. Holiness is a tribute to the grace and mercy that found us. We want to live a holy life because he ran us down. He came and got us. You remember the pitiful condition we were all in? How you laid awake at night, the guilt all around you? You remember that? You remember the sinful habits that grabbed a hold of you? Remember the brokenness in your life? Remember the people that you hurt? Remember the disappointments you had with yourself? Remember the addictions that you had? Remember how Jesus came in and freed you? Remember how clean you felt? Remember the tears of joy on your cheeks? Remember the new life that you got? Peter says, remember what we were. Should produce holiness in our lives. You see, he's not talking about some bootstrapping sanctification where you just kind of got it out and do it yourself. You know, legalism is nothing more than camouflage carnality. You know, that's all legalism is. I mean, it's legalism is just pride wearing religious impress me clothes. That's all legalism is. Now he's not talking about, he said, look, 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 I'm not talking about you playing games. But you living a life of holiness, which is a living sacrifice expressing your gratitude 
for what, he, what he's done. What we were and what he did, the second part of verse 18, this is remarkable to me, not with the precious things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The key word is in the opening line of verse 18, you are ransomed with the precious blood. You are ransomed with the precious blood. You are ransomed with the precious blood. That word ransom was used of, of people going to the slave market and buying slaves and setting them free. We were all slaves of sin. Oh yeah, we were. Now y'all look nice today, but you know, we were slaves of sin. We were all slaves of sin. It controlled us. And we were in a marketplace of life. We pretended to be free, but we were enslaved. Jesus died on the cross, paid for our sins, rose again on the third day, and went down to the marketplace where we were. And he said to the slave master, I want him, and I want her, and I want him, and I want her, and I want him, and I want her. Why do you want him? I paid for them. Set them free. That's what he's done for us. The point is, why wouldn't you want to live a holy life? Once again, out of gratitude. Out of gratitude. And by the way, this is what he planned. That's what verses 20 and 21 is all about. He planned it this way. He said, look at the line here in verse 20. He says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you the sake of you. This is remarkable to me because it has a tad bit of a double entendre. Not only was he foreknown, you were foreknown. It's as if he says, before you were ever born, I planned the solution for your eternal destiny. In other words, Christ's death was an appointment, not an accident. Oh, with love. It was an appointment, not an accident. The payment of our sin was planned before the foundation of the world. And I think the point of all of this is that this should engender a tender heart, a tender response to God. Notice the appeals in the passage. You know, we get hung up on the expression, be holy, for I'm holy. Who could ever do that? Well, when you look at the technology, it's, that, that's in a way, it's an impossibility. But you read the passage, you see what God has provided. He calls us Father. So he's giving us the DNA and the power, access to the power to overcome the sin that's in our lives in order to reflect holiness. Not talking sinless perfection, but aggressive development and overcoming. Then he says, after all, just step back. Look at what he's provided for you. It's kind of like what the Apostle Paul said. How, you know, God who spared not his own son, how, I mean, he's going to also freely give us all things. It's like a jeweler. You go and get a $5,000 diamond ring, and then you're going to haggle over the box to put it in. No. He's called us to be that, and he's empowered it. So we should be grateful. Our hearts should be tender. The greatest thing you can pray for your children, the people that you're discipling, and for yourself is that God would keep your heart tender. Keep it responsive. You ought to be afraid when you no longer feel guilty 
over your sin. Karen blessed my heart the other day. I came in the house and she told me one of our grandkids, without the prompting of their mother, one of our grandkids called and said on their own, Mimi, would you pray for me? Of course, she said, well, sure, I'll pray for you, honey. What do you want me to pray for? And this grandchild of ours said, you pray for me because I lied to mommy today. She told me that my eyes filled with tears. Oh, God, keep their heart tender. Is your heart tender? Is it tender? Has it gotten to the point that we've learned to accommodate the crap and nonsense in our lives? No longer affects us. We can tell a lie, but just with a twinge of guilt. We can be rude and nasty to people and maybe feel a little uncomfortable. Have we forgotten the severe mercy of God? The final thing that, according to Peter, that holiness should produce in us, it should produce love. Love. Now, you know, this is, at first, when you read the text, you go, what, what does he end up on this love? Well, it's, it's amazing because he's saying that, that holiness is not just this way. Holiness is this way. This, this holiness that we pursue, this, this urgency, this accountability, this gratitude that is produced in us manifests itself in love, in loving relationships. It is communal. It is demonstrated among the peoples of God. It is pure. And I'll just give two general descriptors here. This is found in verses 22 through 25. In verses 22 through 23, he says this is a pure love. Again, he's attaching it to holiness. He says in verse 22, having purified your souls from your, by your obedience to the truth. Now again, obedience to the truth is connected with the salvation that has been purchased by Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. So he says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You're free to love. Jesus said, by this should all me know that you're my, my disciples if you have love for one another. Paul himself said in a great text, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that the veracity of Christianity has manifested itself in love. And so here, Peter masterfully connects love with holiness. It's pure. It's clean. But he also says it's enduring. Well, the term love is not used when he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, six, verses 6 and 8. He does say that a purified, holy life allows us to love purely and that it's enduring. Thus he says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. This is enduring. You know, holiness is not produced solely through the force of our will. Notice I said solely. I'm almost done here, but let me, let me, just, let me, just, let me just say something here, okay? There is a brand of sanctification or teaching about growth in the Christian life and holiness and this kind of thing 
that I find terribly misleading. And every so many years, it continues to raise its head. And here's what it says. It says, you just, you just yield. And that's how change takes place. Your will has nothing to do with it. It's your identity. You just yield to it. Well, the problem that I have with that happens to be the Bible. I mean, there's commands in the Bible. Peter just gave us a command to be holy. There are all assortments of commands everywhere you turn. So I don't know about you. I mean, look, I went to government schools, but if there's a command, it implies it's your will has to press into the command. Here's what I want to say here. Our will won't produce the power for change. But our will is the expression of our faith and response to obedience. And in response to obedience, as we respond, God releases his power for us to obey. So it's not self-reliance that we're talking about. But the way we become holy is through yieldedness to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Yes, I obey these commands, but I don't do them in my own strength. That's the point. That's the point. Yes, I, I, I intend to do this as an act of my will, but I don't do it in my own strength. I do it in the strength and the power of the Spirit of God. And he sets me, sets me free. It is produced by God's grace and the power of the Spirit of God. How much do you value your purity? How much do you value your holiness? How important is it to you? What does it say about the God you serve, Crawford? And as a pastor, I want to plead with those of us here who are believers and we've been accommodating sin in our lives. And you know who you are. We know who we are. It's not funny. And that's not our heritage. We weren't born to live like that. We weren't born to live in compartments. There is a better way. There is forgiveness. There is freedom. There is hope. But that cannot be experienced until there is authentic, genuine repentance. Dr. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, the Hope of Holiness, the title of today's message. Crawford is at the beginning of his new series called Navigating Life's Challenges, based on the book of 1 Peter. Well, it's our prayer that today's message has given you a new or renewed commitment to holiness in your life. As Crawford said, in light of what Jesus has done for us, how can we not be committed to holiness? If you weren't able to hear all of today's message, you can listen on our website. Look for Past Programs, the link Past Programs. And if you'd like to download any of Crawford's messages to your MP3 player, they are available for free when you stop by the website. Look for the MP3 link to Moody Audio. Your emails are very important to us. Take a moment to let us know you're there. 
Now, without two-sided involvement, we're left to assume living a legacy is not of major interest to you. And we know that's not the case. So please help assure us that this program matters. Here's the address, legacyatmoody.edu, legacyatmoody.edu. Thanks for joining us today. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.